and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. Today we have a very, very, very special episode for you as we descend to the smoky depths of the pedagogical open mic club, where a patter of polymath pedagogues will propound for your listening pleasure with a plethora of learning and teaching patter. I am Mike. Hello! I am a learning designer, as always, at the Open University, a man with a microphone and imposter syndrome incarnate. And joining me this evening slash afternoon, we have, and let's please go in the order that we're showing on the thing. Oh, that's me first then. Do I have to do the... As well. I've, got, I've got Mark Williams, Becky, Grania, Paul, Chris, well, That doesn't work, so I've got Mark. That's See a different order for me. I've got, got it. Me <laughs> on the screen. That's a terrible oh, system. Let's all introduce each other at the same yeah. time. Why don't we, we all introduce each other at once? That might be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> One big Okay, blob. Mr. Williams. So, hello, I'm Mark Williams, and I'm a learning designer at the OU, and I'm the keeper of the keys, but I'm not sure what keys. I'm Becky, I'm a learning designer at the OU, um, and also a PhD student. I'm uh, Gronia, I'm a digital development editor at the OU, and uh, yep, I'm really interested in interdisciplinary approaches to teaching and learning. Hi, I'm Paul, uh, still a drummer in the greatest band that no one's ever heard of, and also <laughs> a learning designer at the Open University. I'll tell you, if they listen to the Dunning-Kruger episode, they'll have heard of the band now. <laughs> That's on the map. <laughs> Uh, hello, I'm Chris Cox, and I'm a learning designer at Cranfield University, um, and illustrate things and draw stuff too. Um, I'm uh, Mark Childs. I'm a senior learning designer at Durham University, and uh, yeah, my usual claim to fame is I've got a PhD in education. So there we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> can we take self self? Who is always quiet? <laughs> Mark, you earned it with all your hard work. <laughs> um, I'm Liz. I'm head of School of Digital Education at Arden University by day. I always said, hi, I'm hi, I'm Liz. I'm not at the OU. <laughs> Just ran away with all the secrets in a sack. <laughs> okay, so thanks, folks. Now, um, <clears throat> So uh, we'll start off in the open mic club. We'll just uh, get into character. <clears throat> I'll just get into my MC mode. Uh, let's start the uh, open guest. Step up to the microphone to start things off. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike, and I'll be your MC this evening. Now, uh, I used to work at a bar called the Pedagogue's Arms, and uh, let me tell you, we used to get some right odd folk there. There was this one night I was behind the bar, and we had a behaviourist, a constructivist, and a constructionist walk in. Now, the behaviourist walks up to the bar, looks me in the eye and says, every time I say bring me a beer, I want you to bring me a beer. Now, if that wasn't a big enough insult to my professional skills, he then repeats himself three times. So, I give the cheeky bugger his beer. But, fair play, rest of the night, whenever he asks for a beer, I bring him one. And he gives me a little tip for positive reinforcement for the desired response and goes home happy. Weirdo. <laughs> now, the constructivist, he walked next to the bar, caught me eye and said to me, now, reflect on the times you've been thirsty and find yourself in a bar with money in your hand. Now, think about your own professional experience as a partner serving customers. What? Has <laughs> <laughs> he got laryngitis? I don't know. I've had a condition. <laughs> now, what might be a solution to me parched throat? Now, like I said, we get all sorts in it, so I did what he asked. And I had a good think about my own experience of beer thirst and how long it takes your average customer to finish a pint. 
But this led to a minor epiphany about the inefficiency of this fella queuing every time for the same thing. And long story short, I took him a pint every hour for the rest of the night and he left happy and absolutely pissed. Now, finally, there's this constructionist. Now, he doesn't come up to the bar. Oh, no. He goes and sits down at a table and calls all the other patrons over to him and opens up this big discussion about the ideal method for beer acquisition. I turn my back for five minutes to change the barrel. When I get back, I see this new group has organically developed a collaborative project where members explore and synthesize research around the field, subject and feeding into the design of a small-scale prototype of an extendable beer pump. (laughs) Unfortunately, I had to call last orders when they were still categorizing feedback from their focus group, and he went home thirsty. (laughs) Now, you might have heard me do that bit of material before, but don't worry, that's fine. It's not self-plagiarism, it's just an OER joke cleared for reuse. <laughs> Did you not all that in Glastonbury, nineteen ninety-seven? <laughs> oh, that's a very, 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 very education fringe joke, Mike. Oh, mm-hmm. It gets worse. It gets worse. Now, uh, I was in university when I was working at this bar. I was studying for my BA in astrology, and after a long shift the night before, followed by a messy lock-in, I was bloody hanging and wandered into the wrong lecture. I was well embarrassed, so I just sat there. I look over at the kids to the left of me. Now, he's got his nose in his textbook, and he's taking notes at a million miles an hour. And I ask him, sorry, mate, what class is this? And he glares at me and goes, can't you see? I'm read slash write. If you want to ask me something, get it published first. And he gets his head back in the book. Anyway, I apologise for this mardy sod and turn to the kid behind me. Now, she's got her eyes closed, but she's nodding along to whatever the lecturer's saying and listening very, very hard. And I say to her, Hey, what class is this, mate? And she turns to me, keeps her eyes closed and says, Sorry, I'm auditory. I don't know the mnemonic for that. Could you repeat your question a few more times? <laughs> so anyway, I lose my patience and turn the kids to write to me and ask her the same question. Now, she's looking too crisp, short of a grab bag and is scribbling away with pencils, doing doodles and maps all over the place. But thank God she hears me, turns around and says... Oh, I could help, but it'd be lovely if I painted the answer. I'm a visual, you see. <laughs> and she pops out a small easel and starts mixing together oil paints. Now, I'm not daft. I've had one read-write, one auditory, and a visual. I know what's coming next. There's this kid in front of me, and the whole lecture, he's been alternating between sculpting something or other with clay and fondling <laughs> bits of old machine. <laughs> now, I tap him on the shoulder, and I say, look, do you know what class this is, mate? And no need to tell me, you're kinesthetic. <laughs> and he turns to me, wipes his hand in his apron, and says, no, I'm not, and neither is any of this. And that's when I notice the lecturer at the front is a minotaur, demonstrating a revolutionary approach to kayaking. And hello, I think, it's a new row myth. And I think, <laughs> uh, I'm sitting in the pub, uh, and I no. of me up and sit. <laughs> No, it was real, particularly learning styles. Oh, Thank God they've been discredited and it was all a dream. <laughs> that's, that's me acting. <laughs> that's a new punchline since the last time I heard that. Yeah, I wanted to get Neuromyth in this. <laughs> I, oh, dear. I can't believe you got fondling in <laughs> Very good. Very, very good. Yeah. Snapping, my good. Snapping my fingers from the background. Snapping my very fingers. Very good. <laughs> Enjoyed that. Very good. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't laugh at any of that, then don't worry. It's just that I hadn't previously scaffolded the jokes. We've got some great <laughs> for you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, can I please ask you to give Liz a round of applause as she approaches the microphone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So um, I don't know what you call a barber shopper who sings on her own, other than um, other than out on a limb. Um, but um, <laughs> this is um, a discordant take on a musical that I intend to produce at some some point, which I'm calling My Fair LD. <laughs> and this is a particular song out of out of out of this my new my new songbook called Wouldn't It Be Addy. <laughs> All I want is a mega framework, something for students, every quirk, evidence to silence every jerk. Oh, would it be Abby? Lots of frameworks to get designed, but after analysis, it's next in line. It works great for all kinds of learning. Yes, it's Addy. Oh, so lovely falling to sign up with development. I would never budge till we've iterated several times. We implement those clever activities, suggesting tools for your ABCs. And then you evaluate and see, oh, you will just love Addy. Addy, 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 Addy. Coming to the Northwest End not anytime soon. <laughs> Fantastic. That was absolutely yeah. wonderful. We did some stuff on Addy in the last episode, didn't we? Yeah, if we, anything, Liz, we should have had you in for that. Yeah. <laughs> with your song. Suggested replacing it with your own versions. So, you know, we need one now on bumholes. <laughs> <laughs> what is the bumholes model? Uh, I, I was worried <laughs> about the bumholes. Yeah, what's going on there? <laughs> Oh, we did an episode previously on, I, I argued that Addy was good because it's a model and working with a model means you're working with a plan, which is better than no plan. Mm. Um, and um, Grinch <laughs> of Models Past, Mark, um, was arguing vehemently against Addy um, because he said it was it was too, it was like breathing. Yeah. Which is apparently also not in favour of. <laughs> no, I like breathing. I like, I, mean, I, like, I like analysis and design and development. I just think that it doesn't. It's not deserving of an acronym or a model. It's just so basic. It's a, so. What we we're suggesting was instead of using Addy, you you kind of localize it. You just your own. die. No, you make, <laughs> you make your own version. You come up with something that's, that uses mainly those steps. But then all you have is another model. Yeah, but it's more detailed, it's more local. Yeah, but it's just it's another model. So suddenly, instead of 10 models, you've got 11. <laughs> well, instead of one, you have a massive amount, and then you can call it whatever you like, then. And you can get your own page on Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm just imagining localised as, like, different accents. So, like, hey, up, and, you know. Yeah. We need a Huawei, I think, a Huawei um, model. That's what I'm going to work on next. So we can say Huawei the LDs. Liz, thank you very much for that wonderful, wonderful act. That was fantastic. And now I'm going to pass over to Mr. Williams for his act. And 
ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next performer, Mr. Mark Williams, to the stage. Hello, hello everybody. Hello. It's a real welcome to be here. As you know, I can't do any accents, so I don't ever profess to do any. Um, and Lies. here I am, uh, ambling to the microphone and wanting to take you into a space. And here's a piece of writing that I'm going to read out to you now. It's a bit Jack and Ori. So if you'd like to get on a rug, cross your legs, get your cup of tea, sit down and relax. You can close your eyes if you want to, it can help. Okay, you're ready. Is that that something the six-year-olds do, get a cup of tea? (laughs) No, you get a, what is it, like a baby cappuccino type thing, don't you? It's it's got no cappuccino in it. We're in Uh, our safe space now. You're in your safe space. Okay, well, here you go. And let the story begin. So... I am standing in a room, but I can see that it is a space that extends. There are simple structures that denote physicality, and I'm not totally sure what they represent. Some shapes seem static and whole, yet others are crude and blurry. There are colours, and these work stylistically together like a retro poster design. I have a gun in my hand, and my inclination is to point it forward. I have used one of these before, so I don't feel as awkward as I might. In fact, my familiarity with it prepares me for the possible outcome ahead. I guess I'm here to kill, and my body naturally assumes the right stance. I almost project myself to move forward, and as I do so, I'm propelled into the space ahead. I know I should be looking intently and taking notes, and I also know that I'm here to destabilise what is coming toward me. I squeeze the trigger and fire a round of bullets. The gun bursts into life and communicates purpose. This is my mouthpiece to express and collaborate with my surroundings. It is what I now use to respond to the dynamics of space, a pen that writes and transcribes the environment. And as I move forward, I become part of the surroundings. From feeling an initial uncertainty, I focus on playing a part in the experience, and it is exciting. Although I have some sense of space, I don't quite know what to expect. But my first assailant goes down quickly and I feel a sense of charge. The second and third fall down and disappear. I'm owning this space and continue to do so, but it changes. It moves and shifts. Plinths arise from flat levels and tower with bullets moving toward me. So I have to twist and duck. I pull the trigger and aim upwards. Seemingly solid shapes have sections I can see through and I can see more human shapes hiding there, ready to take aim. I twist and shoot and hit the target and suddenly there are five of them and I hear a fractured sound like breaking glass. I've been hit, more splintering and red mist. I am down, everything halts. I am back in the space and it's now more familiar. I check my gun is working and it fires another round of bullets. I tune into the music that's playing in my ears and I'm even more eager to move through this electric space and complete what is ahead of me. I relax into it and consider my strategy. I have a plan and I will test it and I'm sure it will work. If it doesn't, I'll come up with a new one and try that. I also know that there are other people who have developed ways of succeeding, destroying all targets and getting to the end. I can't lose nerve, just go with it. I move through this familiar context and shoot the first three targets. Again, the space shifts and moves, but I'm expecting it and react accordingly. I know the space will shift in new ways, but now I understand this and anticipate changes, feeling excited that shifts will create new environments. My five assailants explode as I test my new game plan, focusing and projecting bullets at regular intervals. I get more adept. 
I focus across levels and take ownership of surroundings. And I respond more naturally and can anticipate changes in environment. I can also control how difficult I want this to be. But for now, I want to develop my skills so I get a sense of my potential. I'm learning all the time to adapt my physicality to the space. Having been floored by human forms colliding with me, I now know that I can hit out with my fist and bowl them over. I'm more in control than ever, working things out in stages and moving to greater complexity, weaving the skills I have into a narrative journey. Journey. I'm now a gunslinging assassin and renegade. Oh my god, that was so empowering! Right, I have to have to say, right, the context of this is that I've been playing Pistol Whip. On my <laughs> VR, right? This is yeah. Pistol Whip, right? And I'm really loving it. Like I, I didn't think I would, and I love it. And I felt that there's this real analogy to Pistol Whip and learning creative environment. So I thought it was kind of like. You know, relationship between the learning journey and the, how experiences are set up, training, scaffolding of environments and challenges, tips on how to move forward, repetition to practice skills and improve. So it's like a spiral curriculum where students approach similar uh, tasks with, with more experience, different skills levels to reach a greater degree of complexity, challenging and engaging, fun and active learning, narrative spaces. So uh, learning becoming part of a story and players becoming part of a space. So and also. I think there's like a new styles function in it. So I think there might be a way to co-author slightly. So I thought there was this dynamics of space that had some correlation. So that's what it is. It's me playing Pistol Whip, basically. Yeah, that is awesome. I, you know, I, so I was listening to that and I've been playing Pistol Whip myself recently. And I was thinking, yeah. all I can imagine is Pistol Whip. I'm pretty sure Mark's not talking about Pistol Whip. And he was talking about Pistol Whip. I was, I was wondering if it was a manifesto, yes. like I'm going to go postal tomorrow. If this is a warning to the world. Whereas I've been playing lots of Stardew Valley and in Stardew Valley, there's a little mini game called Prairie King. And I was like, huh, this makes me just think about Prairie King and how I keep dying. <laughs> <laughs> Which is its own kind of learning experience. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's really cool. I was slightly flattened by that, actually. I, I, I just thought that was such a uh, such a brilliant metaphor. I just I really like that idea of that process of learning. Um, and actually, it's really weird, like how how very um, platform games, for instance, just how very replicable that is about that sense of doing something over and over again, mm. but not repeating it to the point of boredom. Yeah. And learning, you get that little bit of gain, I guess, every time you try something. And and at that point, it's like you either gain enough to be able to persist or you don't gain enough and you're like, I can't be done. I can't be doing with this. Yeah, that is so true. And I've, I've, I've kind of encountered games like that, which are so frustrating. But yeah, it's kind of like developing that strategy, isn't it? And I think once you've got it, you can move forward and get into, into kind of the, the more complex environments. It's quite an exciting journey, isn't it? And sometimes you just want to collect stuff. It's a whole mm. different type of game. Yeah, that is. That's like Skyrim. <laughs> just want to collect. Just want to collect the shiny things. Gold, <laughs> gold, more gold. Catch them all. Oh, I'd love to do an, do an episode on games-based learning at some point. Oh, be great. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, one of the interesting things about games-based learning is, yeah, you can use games to learn, but actually games designers have to be the best teachers out there because – that whole thing about you can own you have to encourage people to try the next bit of complexity and if it's too hard they'll just drop out if it's yeah. too boring they'll drop out so you've always got to be looking at that next sort of step up you know it's sort of if you like zones of proximal what's it zone of proximal development if you like that as a concept it describes what's going on Absolutely. and you have to lure people through that process because 
you know, you've got nothing to offer them at the end other than winning the game as opposed to, you know, like a degree or something, which which is a motivation <laughs> for keep going when you're learning normally. But so, yeah, so that whole thing about structuring and scaffolding and taking people incrementally through the, those levels, games designers have got that spot on way, way more than educators do, I think. Absolutely. There's something about... Um... Ah, the, the way the game levels are designed to the point where you don't need instruction because it's just there built in mm. and it's just implicit and just a hint. It's a hint of what to do next and you just explore and no one's telling you what to do except they are. And I think that's something we really need to learn from. But I used to teach urban geography and do a lot of experiential learning and just as you were kind of speaking um in terms of mapping this out as a game, it sounds so much like experiential learning and I totally take the point about you know gaming and gamers having it down in terms of the learning environment but there's so much to be learned in terms of blended learning as well so it's um yeah uh, it's not a complete opposition i suppose but um i totally thought about experiential learning and just being a tour guide and working with people in different environments so structuring it so it's inviting but also so they can get their own experience out of it i agree and i think there are a lot of open world games now aren't there so you just make of it what you will and you create your own experience out of it and experiential learning is kind of core to the whole game as service um, yeah. Yeah. kind of mechanic these days as well, where any kind of big online multiplayer game is essentially relying on you failing, 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 learning, trying again, getting better. So the kind of the competitive meta scene just keeps on growing and evolving. It's, uh, oh yeah, well, I think, I think this is making, making me realize we need to do a big episode on this at some point. Awesome. Brilliant. Any other, any other comments? Well, I mean, I don't know if you you planned it this way, Mike, but th- this segues excellently into my my piece. So, I mean, you of couldn't. Of course, have... he planned it. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what Mr. Williams is bringing whatsoever. <laughs> this is an accident, but I'm I'm happy to um, to take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in which case, um, thank you very much, Mr. Williams. Now, put down the mic. Get away! Get away from the microphone! Shoo you off the room! <laughs> no. We've got marks in the rafters. Um, and now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next performer to the stage. It's Paul. Hey! Well, first of all, thank you for that rousing welcome as I've made to the stage. Uh, it's a surprisingly long walk, to be honest, Mike. I was expecting the table to be closer, but never mind. Um, I'm going to just briefly talk about gamification, believe it or not. So, um, But I thought I'd start my piece with a pedagogical disclaimer. And I paused there so you can edit in some dramatic music. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it's innately part of being human to kind of want an answer to your ailments, so to speak. However, gamification is not a magic bullet. Um, so implementing gamification mechanisms should be carefully deliberated, uh, especially in selecting sort of the elements of the process that you want to try to gamify um, in order to have the desired effect. Uh, So the gamified factors should be part of a cohesive and varied learning experience, supplementing, not replacing other teaching methods. And uh, here endeth my pedagogical disclaimer. There you go. Um, So what is gamification? Uh, It's not about playing a game. It's about embedding principles. Uh, So get Gamification is the use of game elements and game design techniques in non-game contexts. 
Um, so a really commonly targeted non-game context is known as behavior change gamification, which seeks to kind of form beneficial new habits among the population that you're teaching. So if you think about a, a health app, for example, it gives users an in-app achievement for completing a health-related task. That's a sort of common experience. Um, but as I'm standing on a virtual stage of an open mic episode of a pedagogy podcast with a pop culture twist, I thought that now would be a good opportunity to throw in a film reference for you. Um, so I'm going to link uh, this uh, to the movie franchise Saw. Uh, so Saw is a really extreme example of the application of game-based learning in a non-game context. Um, so it's literally about learning from the consequences of your actions in order to progress to the desired outcomes, which you could say about Mario as well. Um, so this, <laughs> yeah. uh, so this is achieved both individually and in groups within the films, um, and characters progress to varying levels of success. Um, so admittedly, that's a slightly PG way of describing the franchise, um, but there you go. <laughs> So now that, now that I've loosely linked to some pop culture, I thought it would be good to plug a previous episode of the podcast because, you know, on brand. Um, so a sense of community was explored in an episode relating to World of Warcraft previously. Um, and let me guide you here, though, towards the paraphrased words of Constance Squire, who is an associate professor from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Imagine for a moment a community that surrounds a game and this could be any game, uh, in order to develop and progress, you must do vast amounts of problem solving and developing knowledge and skill. And then once you've achieved, you then move on to a more challenging game. Can you imagine if that sort of developmental experience was applied in education? So uh, I'm going to talk to you about a five-step structure that can be used to embed gamification principles. And I'm not going to have time to talk you through each step, but I will talk briefly about the application of it. Um, so step one is understanding the target audience and the context. Step two is defining learning outcomes. Step three is structuring the experience. Step four is identifying resources. And step five is how you apply it. So in the application, there are two kind of quite important categories. So game mechanics can be classed as sort of self elements or social elements. And the self elements can be things like points, uh, achievement badges, levels, time restrictions on, on an activity. And those elements are designed to focus the students on competing with themselves and recognizing achievement that is kind of self-achievement. And social elements are, are kind of the opposite. So you are interacting or cooperating, for example, on a leaderboard. And these elements put the student in a sort of community with other students and their progress and achievements are made public. Um, I don't have time to sort of discuss the pros and cons of these um, two application uh, types, but you should definitely think about that if you're planning to use it. So it's important to kind of understand the pitfalls of any approach before adopting it. Um, so here's the sort of key takeaway. So it, it's about process, not outcome. Uh, gamification should be considered a tool to help and create a varied learning experience, um, not simply replace teaching. And if deployed well, it can help to create an engaged, motivated student group who may then go on to achieve 
Uh, now, for the benefit of the podcast listeners, I'm now doing a theatre-style bow and leaving the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Encore. Oh, yeah. uh, Paul, I, I loved that. Uh, I loved how you mapped that out. Um, again, I, I used to teach experiential, well, urban geography, and there was a lot of uh, just, you know, ways of structuring the experience which fed into just group activities and also we used a lot of just blended learning approaches as well because we had different kind of study centers um yeah really wondering if you have any courses that you've tried this in because you've kind of given a lovely theory and i love the kind of um yeah the pop culture references and just yeah looking at kind of gamification more broadly yeah just wondering if this has been done in practice rather than in theory absolutely um i i've done it in a range, range of different ways actually i tend to or have tended to previously um, target topics that are either difficult or boring. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. For obvious reasons. (laughs) Um, So one of the most boring ways I've I've applied this, um, which, you know, what better to talk about on a a slightly entertaining (laughs) podcast, the really boring thing, um, was health and safety. Um, So I was teaching a bunch of staff, um, uh, so, so kind of, TAs basically um, about health and safety in the classroom and so we we approached it in a sort of game way so we we set up like a sort of escape room where we had lots of different um, areas where they could potentially die and then that way they yeah. learned about you know the the health, health health and safety policy they learned about how to mm. how to sort of um, <laughs> you know kind yeah. of report dangers etc but it just um and nobody died which was great so <laughs> yeah it just sounds like you set up sore <laughs> yeah it just reminded me a little bit though as well like does anybody remember though when we used to play, like the sort of early-ish uh, pc games like i'm thinking stuff like um the x-files game on all seven dvds and um uh, sherlock holmes and the, and the rose tattoo and stuff like that those real kind of um talky platform games you know where you move around a map and then you'd ask somebody a question and then you'd yeah. get an yeah. answer and then you'd go and find a thing yeah and it was really they used to get really frustrating he didn't have the conversation in the right order or go to the right thing at the right time you were just missing loads of information mm. and the game kind of got stuck because you hadn't done the thing there was no way around that until you happened on the right thing and i i think that's he just really sort of even to something a game like saw if you're missing the information <laughs> you're going down the wrong going down the wrong route and then there's no way back because you died and it makes me think about the small ways that we get we get students stuck making me think about those old games oh so i've kind of triggered you in a way then i I never did finish uh sherlock holmes and the chorus tattoo and you know i'm the poorer for it i was gonna say that um i mean one of the problems with gamification is that the scoring method it's better when the it's sort of intrinsic when the game mechanics of the game that you're creating is the same as the game mechanics of the subject discipline you're teaching so i think health and safety is a brilliant one because (laughs) you know i mean the way that you score in health and safety in real life is do you die or not or do you make a limb or whatever and yeah literally so translating that to a game is really easy is to do some gamification with um, medical stuff so you'd have a patient a virtual patient and then you would try and treat it and again the scoring is really really obvious 
does the patient die? You know, <laughs> and if you, if the patient doesn't it doesn't die, you're winning. And so I think that it does translate a lot more effectively to some subject areas than others. And finding the right one, I think, is a big part of the the whole process of of turning something into a game. Really, I think there was um, uh, a game Zelda Breath of the Wild, which. Yeah. It's open world, but you build up skills to take on the villains and the, the bosses as you go. But the order you take them on in is entirely up to you. So it's kind of this weird mix of you're building up skills and you need different items to level up. But sometimes there's two different, two or three different paths, I guess, to, to get the same item. They, mm. They're also the most, I think they're the most important things. It's like how to handle any situation how to have a framework in your head to apply, you know, oh, this might work in this situation, instead of being told a ton of facts. If you see what I mean, you know, you could know. Yeah. I think people should be taught not what to think, but how to think, how to think your way out of a situation. And if you can do that, you can tackle any subject. Yeah. Um, and that's what kind of frustrates me about when I see some of the children's online learning that my children <laughs> had to do, um, not from my not from their school, because their school's brilliant, but the stuff that was sort of given as a third-party resource. Um, yeah, I keep coming back to that. It's just really, no, don't don't teach me tons of facts. Just teach me how to get through this thing. Mm-hmm. And then I can use that lesson to move on. And that's what games do. It's like you don't need, you might need a particular skill for a particular moment, but you need a heck of a lot of skills to get through the whole game. So if you've got multiple ways of getting there, first of all, whoever's the learner is, is going to have more more agency and control and feel more invested, you know? So what do you want to do? Don't, don't just sit there and listen. What do you want to do? You know, it's up to you. you know, choose something, explore. So that's the kind of uh, thing. It's just seeking onto my half-thought-through manifesto rant. <laughs> I didn't get very far, so this is, this is quite nice. So. Gamification is like anything else in, in, in pedagogy and learning and teaching. It can be really, really good or it can be really, really, really um, shit. And yeah. there's no, almost no in-between. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. I've, I've Whenever I've heard it described before, it's always boiled down to badges. Like people are like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so short. And I, in my head, when I hear it, I'm like, oh, cool, rocket launchers. And they're like, no, badges. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So actually, I pulled that uh, that potted um, uh, that potted kind of guide through uh, gamification for me it was just really useful. Of like, oh, here's like here's the underlying bits. This is like the summary of it. Because hmm. for ages, I was really turned off of the whole thing because every time anybody mentioned it they always inevitably followed up with something unbelievably boring. Because you wanted to use rocket launchers. I, I understand. I understand. Um, I kind of think, sorry, I was just about to say, but I think it can create a really kind of like low stakes environment in order to make mistakes and learn from them. Because I think people are so frightened about making mistakes in their everyday learning. You know, people almost feel quite ashamed to get something wrong. And actually it's in the process of getting something wrong that we can be at our most creative or we can learn the most from it. So, so I kind of think that kind of low stakes environment is really interesting. And I know SOAR is an example of a low stakes environment because you make a mistake in there, you're there. But I, I remember like my, when I was kind of like 13, our tutor, our English teacher, used to like take us down to the hall and just say, you're on a desert island. Maybe I was 12, I can't remember. You're on a desert island. You have 40 minutes to explore the island. And we just would go off on our own and just make up stories. But actually, it still stands out to me now. It was a, a really interesting, imaginative experience. So yeah, I like storytelling, narrative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
all of Chris's magic words there. <laughs> in a nutshell, it's sort of like the that five step structure that I spoke about is um, each of those steps was what you guys were exploring there, just in different ways, you know. Um, so if you do it and plan it well, um, according mm. to you know the, the structures that exist, then it, it it can be good, but it also can be really bad. Um, so yeah, could you design? Could you do a game design on the learning design experience, so that you could gamify the whole thing as you're designing something? I'm sure there's a RPG yeah. game for that that somebody in this group has come up with. Yeah, we did. I think we've, a couple of us have done that, haven't we? There was one which was, I remember there was a card game that, that Chris and Mike developed, and then I was doing a sort of Dungeons and Dragons type That's thing. That's the D&D one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. and it was like you, you sort of take on different roles and then move through it and different phases and things. I wonder what happened to that. I think it just got too complicated, really, and, and sort of nobody wanted to learn to play it because it was just <laughs> too difficult to game. Paul, cool, thank you very much for your fabulous, fabulous lightning talk on gamification. You're welcome. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and give a big old... To our final act of the night, Mr. Mark Childs. Hey. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. I am, I am indebted to the immortal bard, uh, but I'll be paying him back as soon as my gyro clears. Um, I've called this the uh, Learning Designer's Lament. Okay, here we go. Oh, and my laptop's just turned off. Okay, edit that bit out. <laughs> I think that would actually be appropriate for most of them, wouldn't it? It's like, oh, and all the technology's crashed. Okay. Reminds me of the first time I ever saw Titanic. The uh, reel stopped as the submarines were lowering in like the very first scene. And I thought, that's a really short film. (laughs) It probably wouldn't have been better better that length. Okay, so get back into character again. (laughs) Tomorrow and... Oh, sorry, I've done the learning to sign this limit. Damn. Okay, okay. Here we go. (laughs) Where am I? Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. The universities are closed. We're all on furlough. At last, at least that's what uninformed journos say. Out, out, times higher. You strut and fret your hour upon the stage, you useless <laughs> self-opinionated hats, full of knee-jerk rabble-rousing out rage, stabbed us when you should have had our backs. All these claims remote is no good, written as if online learning's new. New to you, chum, that's understood. But why not ask someone with half a clue? It's not just journos, but teachers too, writing op-ed pieces left and right that read like you've written them on the loo when you're obviously locked up tight. There's decades of research to look up, social learning, engagement, all no prob. If you do it right, and there's the rub, why not ask us how? It's our fucking job. And so we get this endless circle jerk, a pretentious posturing pantomime, baseless repetitions that online doesn't work till the last syllable of recorded time. Thank you. That was fantastic. Very dark. Very good. I do look forward to these rants. <laughs> there was, it was prompted by one in particular in the conversation where this person had just said, just gone on and on about how online learning was a complete waste of time. And it was like, 
you're just making this shit up. How do you get away with it? And this is in the conversation, which is meant to be an academic sort of, you know, kind of online. So anyway, we'll put a, a link to this in the show notes, maybe just to see how absolutely moronic a lot of people who work in higher education are. This was somebody in the US, but you get you get these arseholes in the UK as well, who just obviously don't know what they're talking about, but have got a platform. So that's what they decide to do. Yeah. Anyway, the time's higher. Pretty awful. BBC, just as bad. You wonder where these people <laughs> keep a job. But anyway, there we go. Sorry. <laughs> Rant over. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to do the Be the Devil's Advocate just because I was a former Jono. And uh, I know. But um, and it is one of those things where, you know, if they don't stories that are all about stories. And, and so much of journalism nowadays is just columns for a start. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just opinion pieces. And, you know, kind of stories about how it's all working really, really well and it's a really good way of doing things. Just, it's not it's not news. So that's not the stuff that gets platformed so or, or, or published. Um, and so they're not the things that kind of make their way. And, I mean, it is, it is one note and it is frustrating and annoying, but there are also just lots of columns now, I see, I think, lots of columns and things coming out now where you can see that people are reflecting on what the last while has done. And are like, oh, okay, this works, this works, this works. And unfortunately, as well, this is if you can't, I kind of think you get to the point where it's like you can't even shout anymore. But we've been doing this for years. Other people have been doing this for years because kind of the for years doesn't really exist to people who have just started doing something. And everybody thinks that they've discovered it first. It's just the way of the world, really. Yeah, it's just. I, I mean, there's a lot of similarities similarities between academia and, and journalism. I, yeah, I, I used to be. I used to be one as well. Uh, oh, so, yeah. with us. so well, I don't know. I, I just got fed up with, <laughs> with it. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's the you do your research. Surely that's what you do before you do anything. You're just trained is, to look at what so the history columns, is. For so often these are columns rather than actual articles. But even articles are not needed. I mean, you're, I think you're quite right. I mean, the state of journalism in this country is shocking, generally. But a lot of these things that we're talking about is is a lot of the stuff that gets tweeted and things like that, they're, they're columns. They're people who have been told, polarised, say one side, don't say the other side, or it's been edited so that it only looks like it's representing one side because it, it, reads, more, it reads more dramatically than somebody going, well, this person says this, and that's quite a good idea. But this person also says this, and this is a balanced column. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's the same with with everything. It's this whole balance thing is just complete arse. Like you get climate change <laughs> discussions, and it's like here we've got a, ge- a geophysicist who's been studying climate change for thirty five years, and has a massive data to pick to back up their particular position. And for you know for for balance, we've dragged this bloke that we met down the pub into the studio because he's got something to say op- opposing it. This is why we have anti-vaxxers and all this sort of stuff, because we have this fantasy that actually there are two sides to every argument. And for a massive amount of them, there isn't. There's the unformed opinion and there's the uninformed opinion. And the uninformed opinion should not get airtime. But I I mean, if anything, what what this for me goes back to is expertise. Is expertise not being trusted? Unless yeah. until and I think this is something that's very true in HE in particular is that um, and I guess this is what I'm alluding to when I say you know everybody thinks they've discovered it first is that expertise is until somebody experiences it for themselves or tries it themselves they don't believe an expertise that isn't within their specific specific field and so it's really hard to get them to engage in those conversations for a start. 
But I mean, a lot, a lot. And if you think about it, learning design in particular, a lot of it is convincing other people that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, for better um, or for worse. Or that it's a thing, thing in the first place. There's a whole thing about, yeah, online learning doesn't work. According to one person's opinion, you had a particular school and university experience a long time ago mm-hmm. in a very particular way where it was cram as much curriculum as possible possibly an overstuffed curriculum, far too much to learn. Again, it's not about how you think, it's about the facts that are going into your head and being told what to think. This is all about student experience now, and that's the way I approach my role at the moment. It's not about online experience, it's not about face-to-face, it's about it's the best student experience full stop, because that seems to work, that seems to nullify all disagreements it's kind of no what do students want they want a bit of choice and they want to have a bit of story and they want to have a bit of an experience and they want to do all sorts they don't want to be sat listening to someone so i sort of go in with that approach but yeah it's like you're starting from a fundamentally flawed model of a factory system to cram as many facts into people so that it can be compliant not think for themselves be creative and navigate the future that's uncertain and if you start from that scenario the design comes in with yes online learning and the things we talk about really come in and kick into gear and, and it's sort of like okay so you start from the wrong times higher education primarily a print publication maybe mm, just saying yeah um yeah you know it's like the wrong set of criteria to be judging I, anything can i just say as well though that i'm i mean as a, as a teacher an ex-teacher i know that there's a lot of highly highly like passionate people that are doing what you're saying, Chris, that are trying to get people to think independently, trying to get um, learners to co-author their learning experience, to consider other situations or scenarios that are out of traditional context and move forward. And there's a lot of teachers that were having to make online learning work and they did make online learning work. They were just moving into a territory that was slightly unknown to them, but they did fashion a way of making it work and worked really hard to do so. So I think, you know, that there is that happening during this pandemic Pandemic, there's been a lot of new discoveries made uh, and I think that's that's really good you know that's really good and then people have been asking for support and help you know and like we've been doing as an OU sort of training courses and working with with schools education system other universities so uh, you know people have a real interest in making online learning work and I think they do see the, the potential of online learning and blended learning so yeah I think we have an opportunity for Learning Design Mythbusters episode at some point in the, yeah. in the near future. We'll get we'll get some good, we'll get some neuro myths in there. We'll get the online learning doesn't work in there, and we'll get some we'll, get some, we'll apply the Mythbusters approach. We'll I would like to be Microsoft. Microsoft. <laughs> we'll blow them up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, folks, thank you so very very much for your contributions. In fact, I'm sorry, let me let me get back up to the microphone. <laughs> So thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for your contribution, support, conversation and applause this evening. Please give yourselves one last round of applause. (laughs) And with that, I think I'll wrap up the show. So thank you very, very much for listening. You can subscribe to us on all of your favorite apps, feeds, iTunes, and at our website, pedagodzilla.com. You can also get in touch with us via Twitter. I am at pedagodzilla. I'm at Mark Childs. I am at Liz underscore Isabella. I'm at Astles Paul. I'm so proud of I don't know what I'm at. I really don't. (laughs) No website. I'm at mrchriscox.com. And I'm at Grow UK 64. 
Fantastic. We hope you've enjoyed the show and we'll see you again next time on Pedagodzilla. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye. 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 Bye.